Here's a very important principle in life. If you want to know how not to succeed, look at what everybody else is doing. So true. Right? Because yeah. <laughs> success will always be the top 5% or top 1% or whatever you have, like top 10%. That means that the majority of people are not doing that. So if you want to know what not to do, look at what everyone else is doing. And then you have to figure out what, well, what is the hack or the key to getting success easily in this field. You were just listening to David Tian. What's up, my friend? And welcome back to another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I'm your host, celebrity trainer and high-performance health coach, Ted Rice. This is a podcast for men and women who are looking to boost their energy and live a healthier life. So get ready to learn proven health and fitness strategies to finally unlock your full potential. Before I talk about today's guest and what you're going to be learning in this episode, I want to talk to you about a masterclass that I'm putting on. This is a masterclass on how to sleep, move, and eat your way to bigger success. Why bigger success through health and fitness? Because health and fitness is your foundation. If you don't have your health and fitness handled, you're not going to be able to have the energy, the focus, the drive, the motivation. In other words, all those things that you need to accomplish your most important goals. This masterclass is going to be going live on May 16th. And it's going to be offered at a promotional price leading up to May 16th. But after May 16th, it's going to triple. The price is going to triple. Get the details at legendarylifepodcast.com slash masterclass. If you want to join the supercharged life, how to sleep, move, and eat your way to bigger success. Again, get the details at legendarylifepodcast.com slash masterclass. All right, so let me tell you about today's episode. I get to sit down in Bangkok, Thailand with my friend David Tian. Some of you have even found out about me through David Tian because we've done some collaborations together. We've done some promotions together. And today he's here to talk about how you can achieve that next level of success in your life. David has a seven-figure business and he runs it all out of five-star luxury hotel rooms all around the world. It's completely crazy. He has this amazing life where he travels constantly and he just lives this VIP lifestyle. And today he's going to tell you how he made that happen and what lessons you can learn from his story because David didn't start out like that. He wasn't a rich kid who just took his parents' money and then started living in five-star hotels. He was a professor at one point. He has a PhD in Asian philosophy, and he was a, a university professor, and he was doing well, but he talks about what ended up happening to where he quit his job and went after what he truly wanted to do in life and how that's led to this incredible success, this incredible life and lifestyle that David now lives. And again, we're going to bring it back to you to make it relevant to you. And the last thing I want to tell you is we recorded it in his hotel room using a different mic. So there's some creaking of uh, chairs and you hear we had some single malt scotch that uh, his wife's 
mom brought back from Scotland. So we were we were sipping a bit of that. I hardly ever drink anymore, but it just seemed appropriate at the time. And we had a blast talking about things. And I know you're going to learn a lot. You're going to get inspired. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with my friend, David Tian. David Tian, thanks so much for doing this, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming over to the place. Uh, I'm, excited. I'm excited. Absolutely. And I think we need to talk about this place. And, and sorry for the creaky seats, because I am actually in David's hotel room overlooking Bangkok right now, Bangkok, Thailand. And we have this beautiful, amazing view. And we were just talking about life here. And uh, it's going to be really good to dive into today's conversation because it's going to be all on lifestyle. And you, David, you have a really incredible story. I'm really excited to, to share it with people. Excited to hear more about it because I know you have some things. We, we've been hanging out. We've been friends for a while. But I, I, I don't know all of your story. And I want to get into all that. Before we do, tell a little bit of, uh, tell, tell the listeners about who you are, a little bit about what you do. And, and we're going to take it away from there. Yeah. So um, I'm uh, a used to be a professor of uh, Asian philosophy and psychology in the Department of Philosophy at the National University of Singapore. I did my PhD at the University of Michigan in, uh, well, in, in dual departments in philosophy and in Asian languages and cultures. And I resigned my post at the, at the university to go full-time into being a dating coach. And I did that for several years. And then I grew up, I matured out of that because that was mostly serving single guys. And um, as I matured, I'm now 41, turning 42 this year, and I'm married now, and um, I have different uh, goals and ambitions, and I'm in a different mindset. And luckily, a lot of my audience grew up with me, and now I work uh, largely in um, helping people find their true self, their life purpose, um, getting passion back into their relationships, or getting into a relationship rather than, you know, uh, casual dating, though I still give some advice on that. And uh, I, I have freed myself from a lot of burdens that uh, I know Americans deal with, like taxation. Um, I am currently not a tax resident in any country and have not been for over four years. Uh, and that's all legal. <laughs> um, I'm a Canadian citizen, and I, but I haven't lived in Canada for like 20 years. So I, I've broken all my residential ties there. And um, I... Even though I'm based in Bangkok, which means a lot of my stuff is here, my clothing and shoes, um, but I'm, I'm not actually a resident here. And I, I live, basically, I'm a resident of Starwood Hotels and have been a Platinum Ambassador Managed Platinum for four years. And now, with the merger with Marriott, it's opened like three times as many properties. And so I'm exploring, I've been exploring Marriott's uh, um, footprint for the past year or so, and I just love this particular property here. So I think we'll be basing here for a while. Um, anyway, so that's that's my life. That's it in a very <laughs> in a brief nutshell. And we're going to get into that even more because I don't think people recognize, at least a good, like I do, and people who are in the online space, they know about digital nomads, but a lot of people don't even know people like you exist, right. don't know that this lifestyle is possible. Yeah. And I've, I've known you for a while. I've kind of known what you're doing. I have other friends who've been, you know, quote unquote, living abroad and just traveling around being a digital nomad. But it's just incredible when you start to experience it. And I think 
the purpose of today's podcast, besides introducing you to the listeners, is to perhaps knock down some mental barriers that people have about what's truly possible in life, about where they could live in the world. We're living in such an incredible time, man, where I just got out of Miami. I was tired of it. I wanted to go. I've been wanting to go for a while, but I finally grew the a pair of testicles and just mm-hmm. made something happen, right? Yeah. So let's talk about like a little bit about like how you transition because you grew up the way most of us did. You didn't mm-hmm. you didn't have this idea of, oh, I'm gonna live in no. hotels. No, not at all. How did that whole thing come about? How did you go from this professor teaching um, philosophy to this globe traveling person who's like the Tony Robbins, you know, that's, that's what I think, Mm. you know, you're on your way to. So how'd that happen, man? Yeah. Thank you. So just to put some of this in context, we're right now uh, running a seven figure business as nomads. And I find that unusual. I plugged into some of the nomad community in in Bangkok and uh, Southeast Asia. And the majority of it are people who are doing 3000 a month. And that's, that's above average actually. So you could live this lifestyle without a seven-figure business. But just to let you know, you can scale a business to seven figures without having to be located in one place and everyone having to come, come to the office and, and basically have a cubicle like they, you know, that they used to have. So you don't have to choose the startup life, for instance, if you just want to have a great um, lifestyle. And uh, I got into it um, when uh, I... So one of the first things I did was I freed myself from an employer and a day job and all of that. So what were you doing? I, quit the, just I was a teaching. professor. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was a, I was an assistant professor, tenure track, the whole deal. It was a sweet appointment by the way. And it was the best offer in the field that year. And my, all my uh, grad student friends were very jealous of me because I got this job. And even then it was because I, it was in Singapore. So they paid 50% more in um, bonuses and in salary and all that than Boston University or, or even the top job in the U.S. But still, even there, Singapore was incredibly conservative and they limited me on what, like even who I was dating. Like I was getting uh, the chair of the department, a middle-aged woman who was not married or anything. And she found out that this girl I was dating at the time was a bikini model. And she found out because the secretary, who was a student, friended me on Facebook and I thought she was just a cool person, so uh, I accepted it. You, yeah. yeah, and then while she was working <laughs> at the freaking desk, she's looking through my Facebook profile and sees photos. And, of course, it's a party, and it's like a bikini party. And um, the professor was like, how dare this pr- professor do this? And so she said, wrote an email to me, and I said, there's nowhere in my contract that says you get to determine who I date mm-hmm. and back off. And then they, they had a problem with the fact that I put red highlights in my hair once and uh, apparently that wasn't allowed. Tattoos weren't allowed. And I was re- just to screw with them. I wanted to get a tattoo, but <laughs> I got my tattoo after I quit. But uh, the last straw was, and I've, I've done a, I just did another podcast that revealed this. She pulled out all of the students from my 300 level class to in private meetings with her to ask if there was any sexual like uh, relationships that Professor Tan has had with anyone. Oh, that you wow. know. And right. the students were the ones who came to me and said, Professor Tan, do you know this is happening? And I'm like, what the fuck? So at that point, I'm like, I don't care what apologies I get from them. I'm going to get my, my, myself out of there. So I scaled. I had a dating coach business on the side, and I was just running that through a blog. Like, it started as a blogspot.com blog. Yeah, uh, okay. Turned, I sure. bought my own domain, <laughs> and then it was a WordPress thing. And, uh, but it was super amateur, uh, and this was 2007, 8. 
And I was getting enough money from that that I was able to, in, in a good month, replace my university income. And it, but it was still a risk. So I understand people who are trying to make that jump from a day job to quitting their job and doing their, their side hustle as their full-time thing. And I spent um, three or four months of just pulling my hair out, being very nervous about this. And, uh, but I handed in my resignation. And um, when I, and I started to take, like, I used to take Ubers. Well, back then it was just taxis everywhere. And I started to take the bus. I moved to a much cheaper apartment. <clears throat> that was a walk-up. I used to be in a very uh, fancy five-star condo. And I moved to um, a walk-up in public housing. And uh, within three months of starting my own thing, I had tripled my university income. Wow. So I didn't have anything to worry about. I was like, oh, I was worrying about all this stuff that didn't even matter. In fact, I had limited myself for all those years right. um, because the university wouldn't let me publicize or wouldn't let me do any kind of marketing at all. So um, then that just opened everything up. And then as far as being remote goes, um, I had a, a very bad breakup with this psychopathic ex and um, had to do a lot of soul searching. And one of the, this was many years ago. And one of the things that um, was part of my soul searching was travel. And I found every time I left this toxic environment that had all of these anchors around, because I was heavily in nightlife, like right. promoters, owners, all that shit, right? Models, bottles, all that stuff. And I didn't, I was so lost in it. I didn't see how toxic it was, but that was my world. And when um, all of this shit went down, everywhere I went, I was being reminded of it. And mm. every time I went out to socialize, all these other people knew me and it was just brought up all of the past. So I wanted to start new and I went, first place I went was uh, CM Reap to see the, uh, the temple complexes there. They're like hundreds Is of years old. Is that in Thailand or CM Reap? Yeah, uh, no, it's in Cambodia. Oh, Cambodia. Uh, you might've okay. seen it in the first Tomb Raider movie with Angelina Jolie. And okay. that featured the, those temples, which were just gorgeous. And um, I went there, it's a very spiritual place, even though it now it's very commercialized, but back then it was a little less. And I went on an off peak time anyway. So I started to love travel so much. I, even before then, I was traveling every two months for like three or four, like a long weekend. Sure. But then I started to go traveling all over uh, Asia. And there's so many amazing places to see. So much so that by the fourth month after I started traveling, I was I calculated I was in my apartment for four days that month. <laughs> like and I'm paying the freaking rent, which was, was, was very high. And so I thought this was really stupid. So a friend of mine that I, uh, that I just made, he has, he was living, he was the only person I know who was doing this. And still to this day, the only person I know who's doing this as a digital nomad who was living in hotels. And, and um, who is this? Akira Iguchi. Okay. Akira. Okay. He's a, uh, he's like the Japanese Tony Robbins. He's got a huge following. He's, he's scaled his business to eight figures now, mostly in Japanese. And uh, he's a, he hustles, man. Every weekend he's doing live events. And um, he's sort of like, actually he, he sells, it's more like a Brandon Burchard. Gotcha. Japan. Sure. And uh, he's a big time networker and he knows a lot. Anyway, so one of the things he told me was when there was the big tsunami that where the nuclear plants in Fukushima just blew up and then there's all this like nuclear water being, you know, so like right now in the middle of Japan, there was this gigantic tsunami that was probably the biggest nuclear disaster, even more than Chernobyl. Even now they're still dealing with that. It, it was very scary for the Japanese because mm. uh, it was getting into the ground, which seeped into the pipe water, which seeps into their, like all through the country. And um, he was, he was scared enough that he gave up his apartment and tried to spend as little time in Japan as possible. Right. So he started living in hotels and storing his luggage there. And a hotel will store your luggage for up to 30 days. 
as just, you know, long-term storage. And if they know you well, they'll store it for longer than 30 days. I've stored luggage there for three months, come back, and it's just sitting there uh, perfectly, you know, air-conditioned storage unit. And I didn't pay for storage. Anyway, so um, if you have a, a booking where you're coming back, they'll, they'll usually keep your luggage. And this is if, especially in Asia where their service is amazing. So he told me that. And I'm like, I just grilled him with, wait, where, where do you put your stuff? Like, what about your shoes? Like, what about your clothes? What about all this? And he just sort of yeah. answered my questions very calmly. And then I was like, whoa, what? Because at that time, I was literally spending four or five days a month in my apartment. So um, when I heard that, I was like, this is what, this, this makes a lot of sense. So yeah. I ended up giving away a lot of my possessions because um, I wanted to move out fast. And then I, ha- I was moving out so quickly, I-, I didn't even have time to give it to the Goodwill, the- like the rest of the stuff. So I just threw full, like 20 volume collections of the official Tong histories is one of the things I threw away into the dumpster in my condo. And it was really sad. I just like, like what do you call those? Like a rolling thing full of, of possessions. Yeah, one of those dollies, right? A dolly, all this yeah. Stuff. yeah. And uh, <laughs> I couldn't even fit it in the dumpster. It was so full. I just put it next to the dumpster all my crap and uh, got on an airplane. I stupidly, I did some, I made a big mistake. I paid for extra luggage. Mm. So I didn't know how to hack miles yet. Now uh, I do for the past three and a half years, I've figured out how to basically fly, fly business class for free. Well, you pay the taxes and stuff, but, uh, and uh, that's why I do that now. And so you could, I could have slowly brought my luggage over, over like two or three trips for free on business class, but I didn't know that. And I flew economy to, to Bangkok and I lived at the W hotel. So the amazing thing was I lived at the W for two and a half months and that was cheaper than paying rent in Singapore. Wow. That's how expensive Singapore is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I did the calculations and, and then uh, once I, I earned my way to platinum SPG, that, that was stupid as well. There are much easier ways to do it, but I didn't know anyone who was telling me these hacks. Um, but uh now we'll I have can, to do another episode on travel. Yeah, right. So, so then yeah. that's that's where I'm at now. So that <laughs> led me to the this like platinum elite um, level lifestyle. Yeah. And man, you know, when, when I'm listening to your story, I also see some of the parallels that I've just gone through where Giselle and I were moving out mm. and we ended up throwing away a lot of shit, a lot of stuff that I had an attachment to. And it was hard to do. But you start to realize it's not really helping you. You know, the, I believe it's from fight club that the things you mm. own start owning you or, you know, uh, probably ruining that quote a little bit, but it, it, it's so true. And another thing that you're talking about is travel and travel can open up your perspective so much. I want to get into this more, but I want to tie this. I want to rewind a little bit and tie this back into like finding your purpose and, and how someone listening right now who's just like, oh man, you have this awesome lifestyle. You had a great thing in Singapore and then now you just have an even better thing and you're your <laughs> own business. Like for someone who's listening to that and maybe they're like in a place in America where they just don't know anybody like that. They've never heard of anybody like that or doing what you do. How would you help that person start to see the opportunities in the world, especially today when we're just Oh, God, did you see what Trump said again? Oh, did you see that terrible thing that happened? Oh, someone said something on Facebook. They said, you know, ketogenic dieting was, you know, (laughs) they said something about ketogenic diet or the paleo or something. We're so wrapped up um, uh, in what I call the American mind fuck. And obviously Mm -hmm. there's there's something out there for every country and, and their own peculiar, 
you know, uh, uh, obsessions, cultural obsessions. What would you say that per- to, to that person right now about like trying to find their purpose and also trying to expand their perspective, their paradigm from the culture that they're so entrenched in? Mm, yeah, that's an amazing question. So purpose and so getting to purpose is a positive project, but clearing your mind of all of the, the underbrush, the, the thorns and like the stuff you were talking about in terms of the news and all that is a negative project. So like the negative project is get rid of the crap that's getting in the way. The positive project is now that you're, you're more or less a, a clean slate, how do we grow um, so that we can discover something that really fulfills us? So the one comes before. In yeah. Your- so if you have lots of crap filling your mind, you will not be able to discover your purpose or like a greater purpose in life or deeper meaning. And you won't be able to grow because there's no room in your mind for that to happen. So there's, there are too many bushes and you can't water the grass underneath, right? So you got to clear off the, is that a good analogy? You got to clear off the bushes or, or whatever. You got to clear out the weeds, right? So um, what I really benefited from, ironically, my Christian upbringing. I, I mentioned this obliquely that uh, my parents are both ordained ministers. My mother is the first woman ordained by the Southern Baptists in Taiwan. And all five of my uncles were ordained. Uh, my brother-in-law is ordained. Wow. Uh, ministers. Um, were you on your way to that? I, I did a year in seminary. Okay. Because, uh, and I was a, like a Christian apologist. That means like I was a philosophical defender of the faith. Like gotcha. I would do debates with other students in front of other students. Like we'd put posters all over the place and I'd show up and debate atheists and stuff like that. Um, and I went, I was part of, I started three different chapters or two, I started two chapters of Campus Crusade for Christ. And I was president of a third chapter and uh, I was like hardcore, you know, giving out the four laws handbook, like the little booklet thing. I did missions trips and anyway, so that's background on me. I'm very different from that now. But um, what that gave me was that most of my formative years growing up in a Christian home and then being so ardent about my faith up until my late twenties was that there was a, a very high premium on guarding your mind. Mm. So there's a very conservative Christian uh, denomination or approach, right? Uh, kind of like a, and I, I had a lot of affinity with the Jesuits who, who do a lot of meditation and visualization. Mm. So one of the things that I really took away from that was that um, the, the Christian project is to think about things that are holy and focus on that. And that meant that a lot of what the world was giving you was bad for you. Those were not holy things. And I, from a young age, already trained myself not to watch um, what a lot of the other kids were watching, not to get sucked into MTV because it's sinful or, you know, uh, to be very wary of some of the Hollywood themes because those are of the devil and all that sort of thing, right? There's lust and carnality and all of that. And then also to be countercultural. So um, I came from, from a Christian denomination that was, that believed in, a young earth or something like that. Like it was anti, anti-evolution, which is like, I'm definitely not that now, but I remember in high school, I debated my, in the 11th grade biology class, debated my teacher who allowed me, exempted me from the, the project that all the other kids had to do. And he let me write an essay about why I disagreed with evolution. So bless his heart. Um, he was actually quite understanding. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, I, I was already used to being the minority, the only one out of the class of 30. And, um, the kids didn't care. I mean, we still played ball at the recess. I didn't give a damn. Right? Um, but uh, I got used to taking a stand and put, put, putting myself apart from the mainstream and how they think. Right, and right. I discovered a, a, here's, a, here's, here's a very important principle in life. 
If you want to know how not to succeed, look at what everybody else is doing. So true. Right? Because yeah. <laughs> success will always be the top 5% or top 1% or whatever you have, like top 10%. That means that the majority of people are not doing that. So if you want to know what not to do, look at what everyone else is doing. And then you have to figure out what, well, what is the hack or the key to getting success easily in this field? And that's where you need to find people who are already like what you're doing now with me. You're asking me, okay, how do you get there? Sure. And that's how you do it. So like, basically I kind of go in stasis for a while. I maintain the status quo and I just talk to a lot of people. And then that's how it happened with Akira Gucci. I stumbled upon this guy who was living this life and then it clicked for, as far as being remote and digital, uh, digital nomad, I mean. Um, but, uh, one of the things that you need to do is to stop consuming content that is not lead, like leading you forward. So when you join, so one thing you have to know about mainstream media or like most media, they have they're, they need to need to appeal to the viewers' minds. And human beings really gravitate towards negativity. We're we actually so evolved do. for yeah. it. So they keep showing you negativity. And uh, I was at the gym the other day, and I saw on the TV Marriott they play CNN. I don't know if it's like. They're forced to do it, but <laughs> we're in Asia and they're playing freaking CNN. Anyway, so it was all, it was like a tabloid. Like it was a 24 hour CNN and all the headlines were like, it was um, a man has his third face transplant. First man to ever have his third, third face transplant. And just this like poor guy who has this very deformed face and they just show it like, they just leave it there because the audio is not playing. And all I see is this, the headline, right? There's no audio on the freaking TV. And it's just this guy who had three horrible face transplants. This is like National Enquirer Nash, kind of crap, right? right? On, Why on is this 24 hour national Yeah, news. I'm in the lounge. Yeah. I'm trying to enjoy some snacks and they're showing me this. And it's like, this is so tap. Right. So you got to just start turning that shit off. Like turn off all of that and read classics, right? Like get into the philosophy, get into or whatever you enjoy, um, uh, music or the athletics, right? And, and try to take that to more of an extreme. So one thing you can do to start making money Find out what you're good at, do more of that, and then do a lot more of that, and then find something else you're good at and do the same thing. And hopefully you can combine them and that will already be a unique niche, right? And then you just go online. Um, that's a pretty simplistic way of putting it, but that's overall, overall one of the, like, the most straightforward ways of explaining how to create um, a side hustle and a secondary income that can replace your primary income. Yeah. And uh, I mean, today it, it seems like we almost have to. I want to go back to what you said about like breaking free of what everyone else is doing. And, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that if you want to learn how to be successful, if you want to know the exact steps to be, to have a lack of success in your life, to live a mediocre life, look at what everyone else is doing. And the thing that popped up for me when you said that is two out of three people are either overweight or obese in the US right now. And it's very similar in Britain and Canada and Australia. I think Australia actually passed up the US by being the most obese country. I know know we have a lot of Australian listeners. It's something to pay attention to because like you said, it's hard to go against the grain because as human beings, we have this need for community. I mean, even though you are so you, you you grew up being counter culture in, in that environment you were in. And, and I kind of grew up not in a mm. <laughs> very religious household, but I was like, I, I was going against the grain too. And I view myself as, as like fiercely independent, 
but I still want to belong to something. And for people who really feel that strongly, how do you start to detach from that in a way that where you don't feel like you're leaving your parents behind or, or completely getting rid of your friends? Or do you think that we do need to get rid of those people? Mm. What, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. So um, as far as like actual people uh, versus, let's say, the media or what you're looking at on your Twitter feed or Facebook feed, because uh, that's that's a big part of people's like, like lives or digital lives. But their actual in-person lives. I was really lucky again. Um, you know, a lot of the good things that happened in my life were out of luck, you know, just almost serendipity. And one of the things I was fortunate to have was that school made me move a lot. Uh, so I was, um, trying to get various degrees and trying to jump from school to school, like every degree I wanted to get from a different university. So then, so I did, I, I was in Montreal for a couple of years and I was in Toronto for a few years. And then I went down to Michigan for a few years. And then during the PhD dissertation period, it's expected if you're in my field to get the heck out of America, cause you got to go to Asia cause we're all studying Asian something right? Asian studies of some kind. And that's what everyone's like waiting for, like to finally live in the country you've been studying for so long and, um, and to be paid for, for that. So basically what happened for four years was that I was bouncing back and forth between China, Toronto, where my parents lived, and Ann Arbor, Michigan. Wow. And, where were uh, you in China? Just I was mostly in Beijing, but I was okay. also in Qingdao and Shanghai, but mostly in Beijing. Gotcha. So I rented a, it was cheap enough that I could sign a 12-month lease because there were very few eight-month or six-month leases. I signed a 12-month lease. And then I'd have a place there. And then uh, in the summers, I'd go back to Toronto for a couple months, see my parents and drop into Michigan to, to meet all my advisors and the professors. And then every other year, I had to teach a semester in Ann Arbor. I kept the apartment in Beijing and I'd go and do the semester in Ann Arbor. Um, so every there was there were a couple of years where every semester I was in a different continent, like different country, mm -hmm. uh, actually continent. Um, so like bouncing back and forth between China and America. And that meant that. I was making new friends all the time mm. because all like Ann Arbor is a very transitory place. It's a college town. That meant a lot of the graduate students were coming in and out all the time. And um, it wasn't stable more generally. And then um, in China, I was plugged into the party scene mostly. And even the expat grad students, they were only there for a year or whatever. So every okay. time I came back to China, I had to make new friends. You know, there are always three or four that were always that were still there, but the big group of 20 people, half of them weren't there anymore mm. and I'm having to go back out. And so luckily my skills as a dating coach that I had to learn on my own really came in handy there, making new friends wherever I went. And I discovered that when you travel that much, the only thing that's constant is you. And what happens is you start to learn who you are better because a lot of people, they, who they are is actually determined by who they hang out with. So true. Right? The yeah. expectations of the other people they're with determine who they are and how they act. But then you, you could move to a, a different country and suddenly you decide just on a whim, I'm going to be really extroverted now. I'm just going to go out and talk to everyone, see how that goes. And no one expects you to be a quiet, shy guy. So then they expect you now to be the, the you know, extroverted party guy. And when they, you see that in their eyes and you, you just rise to the occasion, if, if you think about it as rising. But if you wanted to be introverted and have your own time and, and read a lot, and that's a new thing for you, you can do that too. And people will know not to bug you and give you your space, but, you know, ask you out for beers and whatever. And so that you can develop your own persona. You start to try different things. You start to figure out who you are. You actually can't know who you are. That's why I tell my clients, 
And a lot of them in Singapore grew up in Singapore, born, raised, and still live in Singapore, living with their parents at 30 years old. This is Whoa. the standard thing. Like 90% of, of dudes in Singapore are 30. That's kind of happening in the U.S. right now, oh, too. Oh, really? Well, I think uh, a lot of people are not uh, making enough money. I read about that. You know, it's it's a tough situation. Anyway, so so you please continue. So you can't know yourself if you've never challenged yourself to leave the environment. Yeah, right. Because like the people... A lot of the way that you are is a function of the expectations of other people that you associate with. Makes sense. Yeah. So the, how they expect you to be and the way they, they look at you. And then they give you a weird look when you're different. And that just basically puts you in a box. And that's one reason why a lot of people have trouble finding now their, like, their purpose, so to speak. Because the box that they've been thrust into doesn't allow them the freedom to explore lots of different things. So I like the thing about it, I grew up as a very conservative Christian. I went to seminary. I was a missionary. I was basically doing a PhD in Chinese religious philosophy as a way of of getting undercover. And, and then like the plan was when I'm 50 something and I'm the eminent scholar of Chinese religions and I know more about Taoism, Buddhism and Confucianism than anyone. I come out and say Christianity is superior. Right. That's like that was the undercover plan. Right? I see that. See, yeah. right? So I had a mission. Um, and then like, you know, you change. Oh yeah, man. Late, late twenties. I had a break from my crisis of faith. Early thirties. I discovered a uh, pickup serendipitously as well. And I threw myself into that and was just like lost in that. And then now I'm doing mostly, I'm like plugging meditation all the time, very spiritual kind of thrust in, into things and, uh, finding true self life purpose, making people aware of their false selves and, um, you know, married very happily. And, and now living here, looking at this beautiful sunset, um, on the 35th floor here. So it's come quite uh, a far away since I was 25. And none of that would have happened if I stayed in the same environment I was in back then. Yeah. So travel is, is a huge part of it. And, you know, I've always wanted to travel and I have always traveled. My parents, I, I again, you know, kind of like you, where you had all these advantages and privileges. I grew up in that way too, where we would travel a bit and I had always had it in my mind that I wanted to do more travel. And I was able to do that in my 20s. But a lot of people I know, they're in the States. They're afraid to travel. They're afraid to leave their like hometown to go a couple or their idea of travel is going a few hours outside of their hometown is somewhere else. And, um, you know, I was talking to this strength coach the other day, very kind of, established guy. And he was like, man, he was asking me about being in Thailand. And he's like, well, you know, I, I'd be a little intimidated to go out there. Mm. And to be honest, I was intimidated too, to an extent, because you, you just don't know until you know, right? Now yeah. I know like the Thai people are awesome, super friendly. The service is incredible. The standard of living. I mean, it's just an incredible place. Um, it does have its bad parts too, sure. but you know, for those people who are like listening, because uh, I always like to bring it back to the people who are maybe not uh, so privileged as you or I. And how do they start to push outside their boundaries if they're thinking right now, like, oh, shit, I, I would love to go there or, you know, or maybe just even to the other side of whatever country I'm in. Mm. But it's just, you know, maybe it's money. Maybe it's intimidation about like well, what, what am I going to find over there? Is mm. it going to be scary? Is it people are going to be nice? What, what practical advice or, or mindset shifts uh, can you help someone make 
who's listening right now is having that type of feeling where they just feel, you know, yeah. like they can't do it. Yeah. So I actually had this course called Lifestyle Mastery. And a big part of why I created the course was there were a couple of modules out of the nine modules in it that were on travel. And I learned all these travel hacks and I wanted to share them. But in my initial We're going to do another one on travel yeah, right, hacks. Okay. <laughs> For all the people, I know there's a lot of people who are like, I'm not that person at all. I right. want to travel. Where David, tell me the travel hacks. Yeah, we'll right. do that another oh, time. I love, I love to geek out on that stuff. So, but then in my initial surveys, I found out that more than half of the, the people who signed up and ha- more than half, uh, more than 75% of the people that I initially surveyed as potential students for this weren't actually interested in travel. <laughs> so a big part of the early, the, the first module on travel was telling them all of the benefits that would come from travel. Uh, I have a predominantly male audience, so a lot of it was like, you are going to be a lot more attractive to right. the opposite sex Women are gonna you like travel, you. right? Yeah, right. you got yeah. these great stories. I mean, whenever, like when I'm not, when I'm in Canada, because I came from Canada, I grew up in Canada, I have a Canadian accent and all this stuff, uh, It's it was harder to game, so to speak, right, in Toronto, because it's harder where in your hometown, actually, to stand out and be exotic and be sure. interesting. Um, luckily, I traveled so much that I could throw in some travel stories, but it always found sound like I was showing them off or something. But if I'm in, if I have a foreign accent in another country that I love, the food is amazing. I love the, the, whatever, like the culture, I'm just naturally just by being me exotic, right? right? Like, and, and so that's already like a very attractive anyway. So, so I have to motivate like travel, right? Yeah. So true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're like an athletic white guy, you're, you're going to have a great time in Thailand. I don't know if you've discovered this because, but like, uh, it's, it's, it's that, it got that heyday right now that they're going through. If you're, if you wait a few more years, there, there may be just so many foreigners that it'll just be already, it's happening. It'll just be like, Oh, another one of them. Um, but right now there's still a little bit of novelty left. If you're here two years ago, you really could have capitalized on it. But anyway, <laughs> um, so to motivate people to travel is part, I would do it gradually. Mm-hmm. So what I tell them is, America is a huge place. Canada is a huge place. If you're in Europe, you can go everywhere without, you know, having to go through passport control, right? So um, you just start exploring the nearby most interesting place. And what, what the first time I traveled was at 17 years old, I went to McGill University without my parents. That was the Montreal, first time I right? lived, yeah, apart yeah, from yeah. my parents. Um, I did trips when I was younger back to Taiwan in the summer, but I was living with relatives and I never had to worry about money and things like that. But in McGill, I had to actually budget my money. Um, sometimes I overspent and I had to eat Chef Boyardee for three days in a row or something, you know, and um, but that taught me things. You know, I had to lug my laundry seven floors down and then watch it so no one steals my laundry, you know, and all that shit, right? Like, and you learn self-reliance and independence, you can make it. And uh, Montreal from Toronto is like a six-hour train ride back then. And it's a very different culture there. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. so different. And it was a lot funner, a lot more fun for a young 17-year-old because the drinking age was 18 and and a lot more liberal. Anyway, so um, that was the first taste of, like, freedom. And then from that point on, every time I went home for the summer, I was just felt very stifled. And uh, I never wanted to live back home for very long after that. Even when I was going to the University of Toronto, I could have lived at home. But I always said to my parents, I got to live in the dorm. If I don't mm-hmm. live in the dorm, I'm not going to have good grades. So we negotiated them to pay for, for that. Anyway, so, but the real travel bug hit me when I did a missions trip to Shanghai in 99. And this is Shanghai, old Shanghai. If you've been to Shanghai now, you've, it's changed so dramatically since 99. 99, there was very little subway system. There were like maybe a, several, like maybe half a dozen stops. 
there was, um, I was living at East China Normal University. Every time in the, I was there in May, June, when it flooded, which it did three or four times that in our trip, the, the floodwaters, the sewers would back up to your knees Ooh. and you would be going, waiting like there were parts. So luckily we were in the student dorm, which was a, for foreigners, a three-star hotel. You know, so like it was pretty freaking fancy. Like we were prepared missionary mentality to get out in the countryside and, and shit, right? But we were staying at a three-star hotel. We could eat at any restaurant because everything was like five bucks or like, you know, so I was living like a king. And I was prepared to be a missionary, like, and really slum it. But they they assigned us to a city. But it was, even then, it was like, it was really cheap. You were riding bicycles everywhere. And uh, there were fresh, there was like, anyway, so it was so cheap. And I got a taste of what it was like to live in amazingly colorful and vibrant city as a student on the cheap. And I was like, this is, this beats my life back home. Right. And it was a structured two month, or I think it was six weeks. I went with a... I think it was Campus Crusade for Christ. So everything was sort of handled for us, organized for us. I did a lot of the translating. It turned out I had the best Chinese out of the entire group there. So um, I was put in a leadership role there, but someone else was handling the budget. So we, you know, we gave all our donation money to them and then they would pay for all this various stuff. We had our own little pocket money and um, it was just so much fun. And after that, I was like, I got to go back to China and live there. So I got a little bit of that in a six week period. So I would say it is very daunting to just give up everything in your home country and move to a place you've never been before. I get that. I mean, you did that and that was quite a a big leap, but what you can try is a four week stint, right? You put your stuff in storage or maybe your parents' basement and you try it out for four weeks, right? You give yourself a hard deadline. So it's not that scary. Um, And even less than that, you could just go to a different state, maybe to a big city. If you grew up in a small town and um, try a year there, Right. So just re- knowing that you can rely on yourself, you can talk your way out of a lot of things, you know, and you can just improvise. And no matter how bad things are, they aren't they're never really that bad. Normally, mm. like unless you're doing some really crazy shit like drugs or something, you're never really in a situation that you can't learn from and, and look back and laugh at. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, man. And uh you know, I'm just thinking right now, it's, you live in such an incredible time and I feel like not a lot of people are aware of it and taking action on it. Like for me, I'm a little bit of a, you know, I'm, I'm a tough guy. I've done my things, but I'm a bit of a wimp when it comes to drastic change. Mm. And a lot of people before we did what we did, Giselle and I, they're like, oh my gosh, like, how are you going to do, how, what are you going to do out there? What about the language barrier? It's like, man, I downloaded an app. <laughs> I read about everything on on Google, on various websites and, and YouTube. Everything has kind of already been done. Hmm. It, it's so easy to figure out. I mean, I think about the people 30 years ago or 40 oh, yeah. years ago who came to Thailand or to China or, or well, maybe not. They weren't allowed in China then, but like traveled around to different places that those were real pioneers. I mean, we're yeah. benefiting from so much more information. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize the true beauty of life or and the beauty that the world offers and, and that different cultures offer. And whether you're, you know, going to have a, a, a crisis of faith like you did, where you kind of change directions, or whether it's going to further cement your beliefs 
but give you a different perspective about the way different people live in other parts of the world. I mean, it's just something that I don't want people to miss out on if they have that in their heart where they really want to do something. We want to travel, but maybe just a little bit afraid of it. Dave, um, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I want to switch directions a little bit. I'm curious, how does health and fitness fit into this mm-hmm. for you? Oh, man. So, okay. So one of the great things about traveling, one thing I wanted to really point out is the, um, there's a lot of, so the real travel hacking comes from living in places that are amazing, but a lot cheaper than where you used to live. <coughs> so I'm assuming we're not talking to people who are <coughs> employees of multinational companies that will get an overseas assignment, you know, and an expat housing allowance and all that other stuff, right? Because we're, not, we're probably not talking about them because then the company will take care of everything. They'll, they'll find the international schools for their right. kids and all that shit, right? They'll give them an expat package. Um, they'll hook up their insurance and all. So you're going to be on your own. Now, when you said this is a special time, it's, a spe- it's also a special time because it's one of the rare times when you can actually uh, make a business with almost no costs up front. Right. Like when I started my business, there was only PayPal that would take, that would allow me to take a credit card payment. And PayPal was really strict. Like that, I'd have a guy from Brunei, he's trying to pay for a program and he has the card there. I know it's a legit card and PayPal just keeps declining his cards. <clears throat> and he works for like Shell or something, like a big company. Right. And um, PayPal is just super strict. Now we have Stripe, you have Square, mm-hmm. we have tons of ways to accept payments. You can do it through your phone. You can take Stripe someone's card through. It's ridiculous how easy it is to actually create a business. And if you have something of value, you can create generate maybe two to 3000 a month and of course, that's not something you can live on in most big cities in America. Not in Miami Beach. Right, yeah, right. Sure. You couldn't live on that. But yeah. you could in Costa Rica. You could in Cambodia. Even in Thailand, if you if you live in a smaller city or on the beaches, you, you might be able to do that. Like There are a lot of places in Southeast Asia that you could live quite well on two to 3,000 a month. And uh, um, that is one of the things that wasn't available to people before. Right. Like you had to have a job. Right. And that was like, how am I going to get this job? Who's going to hire me and all that? Forget it. You can work as a nomad, accept payments through the Internet and then live anywhere you want. In fact, a lot of our team, you know, we've got a seven figure business. A lot of our team is all over the world. We don't have an office. We try to do so that. So it's a virtual. Yeah. Virtual, virtual team. Yeah. We virtual. tried to have an office. And I staffed three people in that office and it was a waste of money. <laughs> it was fun for like three months. Everyone was really hyped on it. We got a lot done. And then the first guy stopped coming because he had other, and you know, I'm not going to force him to come. And then eventually we're all working in different cubicles in the office, co-working place. Anyway, I was like, fuck this overhead's stupid, expensive. And I still love co-working places. I think if you have a, a critical mass in the same city, you should do that. I think it's good to, to easier to make meetings, but now I just like, we have people in the Ukraine. We have um, people, a lot of people in the Philippines uh, who I think have never met in person. <laughs> we're we're going to do that soon. I have people in Indonesia, Singapore. I'm in Bangkok. Who else? We have people in India who do wow. some really great work for us. And we pay them online. And we coordinate through Slack. This was not possible like four or five years ago. Right. right. So take advantage of this opportunity. And then we have the internet, which is the way that you deliver your product. Mm-hmm. Before that, before the internet, you couldn't do that, right? You'd have right. to find some dropshipping arrangement for your DVDs or some shit, right? Some, some stuff. <laughs> so um, this is a special time. And 
I'm very fortunate again to be, we're very fortunate to be part of that, um, take advantage of that. What was the original question? <laughs> <laughs> I think that we're, we're also oh, sipping right. on some- fitness. Yeah, yeah, yes, health and right. fitness. <laughs> and we're, we're also sipping so, on some single malt uh, scotch that your wife- my wife's your wife's mother. mom brought back from Scotland. Yeah, right. So Very yeah, it's kicking in. <laughs> so um, you asked about health and fitness, and that I was thinking because the trainers here are so cheap. Like you hire a local trainer. I've got one-on-one Muay Thai trainer. He does pad work with me. They supervise um, all of our workouts, and there are four or five of them that trade off on us. And um, they they have a roster of maybe ten or so. And so you, you get different looks. Because every pad guy is a little different. Sure, sure. You learn different things from them. And it's great. And it's one-on-one for an hour. And we're paying uh, about 300 baht. Right. That's so like about 10, 10, 10 bucks. 10 bucks an yeah. hour. Wow. Right. And uh, even for Singapore, I mean, for Bangkok, that's really cheap. But because this place specializes in, in putting out Thai visas for Muay Thai. So this Thailand is so amazing. You can get a visa to live here for nine months to 18 months to study Muay Thai. Right. And you just buy 70 sessions up front and then they, they get you through the visa process. So that's been amazing. I first, my first ever trainer was in Beijing and it was hundred RMB, which back then was about 10 us dollars. And I met him three times a week. And before that I could never get consistency in my workouts. I didn't even know what I was doing. He was the first train. He was the first working out with him that first week. I worked out so, so it was hard. good. It was amazing. That oh, it was awesome. God. Like yeah. I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't know, like, so he got me, like, there was, like, a bicep curl at the end of a workout, and I couldn't even lift the little paper cup of water from the water dispenser. Like, I was, like, two-handed. Doing, I couldn't move my arms. And he, we were doing strip sets all the way down to just the bar, and I couldn't even lift the bar. And right then, some girls were walking by. And I'm like, oh, I'm struggling with the bar. I was like, this is so bad. He's like, shut up. Keep going. I'm not going to let you put it down. He wouldn't let me drop it. He just kept it in my hand. And then, uh, oh, man. This, so I've got so many stories of, of stuff I learned from him. Um, but I would not have been able to afford that on a student. Mm-hmm. I was a PhD student. I wouldn't have been able to afford it in America. But being overseas in a cheap country. Right. And uh, if you know where to look, you can find amazing um, trainers and amazing gyms. And especially if you're into martial arts. I mean, Asia is the birthplace of, of a lot of martial arts. So you'll get people who grew up in the culture of Muay Thai. We have a trainer at, at the gym I'm at uh, who's 21, 22, 21 years old. And, uh, you know, he's been professionally fighting since he was like 14 or something. Wow. And it's, he's skinny as all that. But like he kicks like it's, it's crazy. Baseball, like the skinny man. guy is just yeah. like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah, <laughs> but he's really sweet, like a little kid. So it's it really weird to see this fierce fighter. But then you talk to him and he's just like shy and everything. Um, but anyway, yeah, that was a big part of, of So my lifestyle is right now I'm doing two workouts a day. So I'm adding on the Muay Thai to um, a weights workout. Hmm. And sometimes I'll just do running. So my wife wants to do a, a marathon um, at the end of the year. And we never did any kind of long distance running before. So now she got me into it. I got these really nice shoes from Nike that are like very bouncy kind of running shoes. And um, I've fallen in love with running. So I'll do, I, I try to do like half an hour of running with her when we're not in Thailand. Because um, in Thailand we do Muay Thai. But when uh, we're not in Muay Thai, I'll re- uh, not in Thailand, I'll replace that with a half hour, you know, 5k, um, run. Mm. And, um, well, normally we'll do like, depends like 4k or whatever in half an hour. <laughs> it depends on how many red lights we hit. <laughs> and it's fun. There's so many running apps, you know, map my run and things like that. It makes it fun. And, uh, anyway, so 
health and fitness, because I live in Asia, I feel like I, it's a lot easier for me to make that a priority. It's mm. a lot cheaper to get really good trainers. And uh, the only downside is it's harder to get uh, certain types of nutritional supplements. Actually, a lot of supplements are not available easily here. And a lot of the food, it's like, you, it's hard to find. Singapore now has a lot of health food um, restaurants and cafes opening up and delivery. Right. You can get paleo delivery here. That's pretty good in, in Bangkok. Interesting. Okay. So I was bulking up on that really well, but I'm trying to cut now. So it's hard to resist all the amazing food. Oh man. So, okay. I'm, I'm babbling now, but oh my God, the number one reason I can't move back to America is the food. I don't I hope, I mean, We're, we're going to go to a place here that the, the food court would blow your mind. The quality of food, of amazing tasting food, of all different spices and flavors that you can get in one place, man. So I used to live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and there was like one place in town you could get ramen noodles, one place in town you could, you could get sushi, like one place in town, you know, and whenever I went to Toronto, I would just pig out because there would be a Chinatown with dim sum and all this. And um, then I actually moved to Asia <laughs> and that just ruined me on any kind of like Asian food back home in America or Canada. And yeah, I, just, I feel like I've never even eaten Thai food or Chinese food. You right. know, it's just, <laughs> it's not even the same. It's so, it's so crazy how different it is, actually. Mm. Uh, it's like they change things around, especially Chinese food is usually very terrible. But when I was in mm. Hong Kong, we ate some real, like they didn't speak English at all. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just oh, yeah. Mandarin, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but the food was incredible. Mm. And uh, it, it, so it's interesting. I was kind of asking how it, helps your lifestyle uh you know is it something that has allowed you to how do you look at health and fitness in terms of like how it's has it enabled you to do things has or is it just for you just kind of like oh well i've got this awesome life but it keeps me like from getting older and getting fatter oh or getting, man yeah. right okay so uh <clears throat> so the really health and fitness uh i work out so much that I think the average person, because it's like a one hour Muay Thai workout, then a 75 minute um, weights workout. And then I might run for 10 minutes at a, you know, a pretty decent pace, like 12 and a half km an hour or something. And now that's like a good day. So a light day is what a heavy day used to be for me a year ago. Um, so, but I love the feeling. I get, I love the dopamine. You know, you feel sure. so good after the workout. And when you start to, enjoy the during the work the actual workout then you're it's almost like it's like uh, like when you know an Arnold Schwarzenegger talked about in pumping iron it's like it's, he's like coming when he's working out getting the pump um when I'm doing a, a Muay Thai workout I'm like in my mind like fantasy like this is yeah. yeah this is so awesome and then as soon as there's a break between rounds <laughs> I'm like exhausted I can barely breathe and I'm like water water um but I just love it and um the energy is is big the calm, like I feel like when I don't work out, I have a lot of nervous energy. Yeah. And I can, me I'll too, meditate yeah. to, to work some of that off. But my brain would just go in all kinds of ways that like I'm just scattered brained. So I work off a lot of aggression, a lot of the testosterone. And I, I get this nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. I don't need alcohol. I used to use alcohol like two or three years ago to get me that. Me too, man. So much. And so many people, that's, you know, you mentioned before, people are just, kind of looking at news, drinking alcohol, smoking oh, weed, yeah. watching the news, uh, just to feel something, mm. right? And, you know, exercise is that 
that thing that can give you that change in brain chemistry to so that you just feel like you're high on life, right? You're high on exercise. Yeah, yeah. One thing that um, my therapist helped me with a couple of years ago was I found myself binge drinking um, with friends, like uh, with like so it'll start like hey, just an innocent dinner with friends would turn into six hours of drinking and partying. And then when that turned into four days in a row and blanking out every night, and uh, it wasn't the alcohol I knew, but it was, it was something else. I was trying to figure it out. And, and one of the things that the therapist helped me to find was that I was lacking masculine challenge in my life. Mm. And, and so I was like, that's interesting. So I started doing fight weeks where I'd um, sign up to this, this is the top MMA gym in Asia called Evolve. They have like, hundred world champions there. It's very expensive normally. And um, for tourists, if you have a tourist visa, they'll give you a $200 a week, unlimited pass to all their classes. And you're actually working out with world champions. It's pretty amazing in, in the one FC things right, like right. UFC for Asia. So uh, I did a striking workout and a grappling workout every day. By the fifth day, I did not need any more challenges in my life. I don't need to drink. You know, I don't need to, because a lot of it was like, I'm going to give a talk. Let me see unconsciously what I was doing was I was drinking because the talk was too easy. Right. I need, I need to punch somebody. I need to be punched. I need to see, you know, like fight club. I need to feel alive. Yeah. And man, after rolling on the mat for an hour uh, as a total newbie and getting killed, right. In BJJ and your fingers are gone because you're holding onto the gi and all. I'm like, okay, I just need to sit for a while and read. Yeah. Uh, so that's I, just something I know about myself. i I love what you said there. When you're missing a masculine challenge in your life, you're going after drugs and alcohol. Mm. Yeah. And I can relate to that. And uh, BJJ is the thing that kind of got me away from Mm. the harder partying that I did because you'd show up after a night of drinking or doing whatever to get your ass handed yeah. to you. Yeah, you're thinking about and your next like, day oh, workout. You, know, yeah. you just feel demeaned oh, in there. Yeah. Like, deme- it's demeaning. It's humiliating because you didn't lose because of your lack of talent. You lost because you were acting like an asshole the night yeah. before. But uh, that's really important. I, t- I wanted to point that out because you said that. And I know a lot of men listen to this podcast. A lot of women listen to this podcast, too. But I think it's so important to consider those things when you're a guy who's in the Western lifestyle and you're watching a lot of TV and that obesity thing, like and and the binge watching of Netflix and staying on your Instagram or Snapchat feed for too long, and then you wonder what you did with all your time. That's unnatural. Human in human. If you look at human history, it's all war. Right, right. right. And it really culminates in the 1900s. It was, you know, the late 1800s to the mid 1900s. You get the Vietnam, probably up to the Vietnam War. That was just carnage. And all of these single young men went to war. That was where you got your fix, right? Of like, holy shit, shit's going down. And you don't have to, you don't have time to go on your Snapchat feed, right? right. People are, you know, you're getting ready to do war. And, and um, we're missing that. We're soft. Yeah. Because now we got drones doing all Which that. Which is work. great. In a way, right? Because man, I don't, I don't really want to be killing people and totally. watching my buddies right. get but killed. You got to know we're not evolved for this. Yeah, it doesn't work with our biology. Yeah, we need some type of challenge that makes us feel on the edge, like yeah. we're really alive, like we could die, but without the actual risk. Yeah, at least yeah. that's the way I like to yeah. do things. Our, we do Muay Thai in the mornings, and I know if I overdo the evening, 
I'm going to get punished in the morning because our trainer is going to just like smack me with pads on the side of my head or he'll just throw me down. They, they do that a lot. Like if you're being sloppy, they'll just throw you down, like take you down. Um, and then sometimes they're, they'll throw you down when you're doing well to, to like challenge you a little bit more too. So you got to figure that out. But um, that keeps me, on, keeps me on my toes. And I, um, you're right. Just like thinking about the next workout, the, the workout the next day um, will, will keep you sharp. Yeah. Yeah, well, David, man, we've been at this for an hour almost, Whoa. and uh, we have both of our wives waiting for yeah, us, and adorable. we've got to eat some dinner, and this this single malt scotch is kind of getting in my my system because I, I only had a few Empty things stomach. to eat. Yeah. But uh, man, this is such a, a pleasure and an honor to finally sit down with you and to learn more about your life, learn more about the way you look at things, and, and also to share that message and to share your wisdom and advice with the people who listen to my show. And thank you so much. Thank for you. Doing I'm honored. This. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. And for those people who are listening, who are like, man, I want to learn more about that guy. You mentioned you have a podcast, but you said mm. you, you mentioned one of your courses. Uh, you have David. Yeah. P- you can just find everything on um, our homepage, David That's David T I A N P H D.com. Uh, we have uh, two podcasts. Uh, one is DTPHD podcast and one is the Man Up podcast. And then we also have a YouTube channel where we have a, a vlog, uh, a weekly vlog. And um, we have uh, other videos on there that are inspirational, motivational and so on. So come check that out. Yeah, absolutely. And I will have that all on the show notes. You definitely want if you resonate with David's story with his advice, and you want to find out more, which I highly recommend you do, especially for guys. You want to search him up. You want to learn from David. And uh, really appreciate you, man. Appreciate what you're doing, elevating the talk of, about masculinity and helping a lot of guys find their way in a world where, uh, you know, they may be having a hard time. And you're helping also the women who are listening too by making those men who who find your message and, and listen to it and apply the lessons that you learn better men. So I commend you for that and thank you. And we got to do this again. Yeah, my for sure. Thank you. All <laughs> right. That wraps up another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed sitting down with me and David and hearing about his journey to this amazing lifestyle that he now has and the lessons that he shared along the way. And like I said, I'm going to get David back on and we can talk about some tactical things like travel hacking and how he saves money. It's so funny. The the people that are the wealthiest that I know that have seven figure, eight figure, nine figure, even 10 figure businesses, they're the ones who know all these amazing hacks to save money. It's it's kind of funny how that works out, right? Well, anyway, I know you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot. And I want to also remind you about my masterclass on May 16th, The Supercharged Life, How to Sleep, Move, and Eat Your Way to Bigger Success. You can get all the details at legendarylifepodcast.com slash masterclass. And just to give you an idea of what we're going to be covering, have you ever listened to this show and said, wow, that's an amazing, that's an amazing idea. I should write that down, but I'm driving, I'm running. I've got a bench press in my hands. I'm working out. I can't take notes right now. And then you do that over and over again when you listen to the episodes. 
Well, imagine all that great information in one place, all nicely put together in a practical manner so that you can take it away and apply it in your life. That's what the masterclass is. So again, if you're interested, there is a special promotional price that is going to be offered up until May 16th. So the day of the masterclass, after it's over, after we do it live, the price is going to triple. Okay. And this isn't going to cost you 500 bucks. It's not going to even cost you a hundred dollars, but you have to sign up now and you can do that at legendarylightpodcast.com slash masterclass. Hope to see you there and have an amazing week.